Of your Bibles as we continue to worship. I hope you understand that you reading your Bible is music to God's ears. Not just your singing, not just your serving, but your attention. He wants your attention. So turn in your Bible to the book of Philippians this morning. We have Pat Lentz reading for us. She's going to be reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. Yeah, I had to make sure I got that right. Uh, So King's kids, listen. We're going to read the Bible together first, and when she's done... I will dismiss you, but you have to wait just a minute as we read God's word together. It's God's word that changes us. Ready? Go. Okay, this is from the Revised Standard Version. Have this mind among yourselves, which you have in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Amen. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and God is still at work in us. King's Kids, second grade on down, you are dismissed to King's Kids. Stay together. That way, if you're lost, you're all lost together. You're easier to find. Elise, catch up, catch up, catch up. Oh, look at that. Brother's checking out on you, checking checking up on you. Good job. He's tall enough she can see him in the crowd. That's good. Philippians 2, grab your bulletin follow along in the notes we've got some notes to go along the way the title of this message is work i decided not to get too clever just keep it simple main idea it is the command in this passage paul is coming after us like paul why you got to be like that come on man i I just want to lay back sit back relax take it easy no Paul, in chapter 1, to the church in Philippi, starts pouring out his heart. He praises them. He blesses them. He prays over them. He's confident in them. He is just gushing on them. He loves them. He updates them on his life circumstances. And then he begins lovingly preaching at them with commands. He commands them... And chapter 1, verse 27, to pursue unity, unity of the spirit, unity in the mind, unity in the faith. In chapter 2, he brings another command. In chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete, again, by being of the same mind, the same love, the same purpose. 
And as we saw in the last couple of weeks, after commanding them to have the same mind, he presents to them the perfect mind, the mind of Christ. Have the same mind, have the mind of Jesus. And he launches into a beautiful hymn of praise. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 is a song, a hymn. A lot of translations will, for lack of a better term, poeticize it. They will indent and show you where that is in the Greek, a poem of praise. How in the world does somebody just knock out a poem on the spur of the moment? Well, you don't. It's something you've thought of. It's something you've already internalized. It's something you've already written or sung. Oh, singing, Philippi. It strikes me, this could, these could very well be some of the words he sang in Philippi in jail. He's recounting to them the very thing that got him through his deepest moment of suffering when he was with them in Philippi. He's still singing. Our faith is a singing faith. We like to romanticize and love on God with our words. Paul cannot help himself. He talks about the greatness of Jesus. He's singing. And you know when you've got a song in your heart, and even when you're writing it down or you're typing it out, in the back of your mind, you're still bebopping along. Yes. He loves Jesus for what Jesus has done. And so the way I read that, <laughs> it's a little startling when he finishes this hymn of praise that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And then it's like he hits a brick wall. So then, and he comes right after them. <laughs> so then, Jesus is so good. Now, here's this. Paul's next move is to go directly from the beauty of Jesus to how he expects us to live our daily lives. Let me say that again. Paul goes from talking about the greatness of Jesus straight to his expectation on how we should live day-to-day -day life. Imagine that. God expects our understanding and love of Jesus to impact and change the way we live. You see that? This is not just a faith that you internalize and sing about. It's a faith you internalize, sing about, rejoice in, and then you go to work. Work is not a curse. Adam and Eve were commanded to work long before there was sin. It's a responsibility, and it's a privilege. It's what you were created to do. You are made to get things done for the glory of God. You are made for work. Now, not as a slave, as other mythologies and religions will make humans out to be, slaves of the deities. Not our faith. We are made to fellowship with God and work with God, for God, to bring more glory and praise and honor to Him. And it is a good thing, a great thing. And this is not religious idealism. 
But Paul is showing us genuine relationship. Our focus today is just verses 12 and 13. So I want to read them again. And as I read them, if you're the kind of person who highlights or writes in their Bible, you can circle the word you and the word your. It's going to be three of them, you, your, and you. So pay attention to those. Those are going to be developed into our three points this morning. Verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Three U's turning into three points. I took a few shots at it just to be, you know, to prove that I went to, you know, a homiletics class. I, I started with uh, E's. I was like, ooh, okay, the first, the first U, that's encouragement. Then the second one, that's an exhortation. And then, then there's an explanation. Then I popped open a commentary, and he used C's. He said commendation, command, comfort. Well, I couldn't use the C's because I just I cheated and I got somebody else's, so I didn't want to have to do this in the pulpit, you know, somebody else's idea. So I, went, I made a compromise between the C's and the E's, and I chose D, all right? Why are you laughing? I even came up with an A, so that's going to, so you're going to see in D's, you're going to see an A's, like, yeah, I'm, I was in preacher mode, like, yes, I, three points in a poem. I didn't have a poem, so I just went, Paul, Paul already brought the poem, so I didn't need to bring that. That's the hymn of praise. We read it out loud, so there's my poem. Done. I'm cheating a little bit. Um, so here we go. 12. Verse 12 has two uses of the word you. The first one in 12a, here's what Paul is doing. He's doting upon them. He dotes. I like that word. That's the vocab word for the day. He dotes, which means he commends them. He encourages them. See all the synonyms were thrown in there? He adores them. My beloved. Dotes, commends, encourages, adores. There we go. Oh, wait. Did I put the wrong one? Oh, that's wrong. Who typed these slides up? My bad. Spoiler alert, that's going to be the third one. No, I'll go back, go back. Yeah, that's the one. I should not have ah, assures them. They're all synonymous. Yeah, we're going to go with this. We're going to go, let's go with adores on the first one. So don't put assures on the first blank. That's why you were pausing back there. You're like, he said the wrong word. Come on, buddy. Come to grandma. So dotes, commends, encourages, adores. These people are unified in Jesus around the beauty of Jesus. My beloved. So he, he's establishing again relationship. He says, just as you've always obeyed, when I was there in your presence, they were obeying. And now in his absence, Paul is not with them, but he hears that they are obeying. So he's, he's encouraging them. He's bringing up a good thing. You people are awesome. When I'm with you, you're obeying. When I'm gone, you're obeying. You keep it up. Keep up the good work. He's commending them. He's encouraging them. He's adoring on them. And in 12b, the next blank, he directs them. He openly commands them. Another word for command is an exhortation. 
Now, the vocab word, he adjures them. I found it a little too snooty, so I didn't want it to be the main point, but it fits. Here's his command. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In a world that can be obsessive in its work, in a world that has misunderstood what salvation is about, in a world full of fear, in a world that trembles over the wrong things, we have a lot of words to unpack for a second. When Paul commands them, directs them, to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Here's what he means by work out. Here's a definition, because there are multiple words for and definitions for work. This particular one means to work down to the end. Work down to the end point. Work something to an exact, definite conclusion or stopping point. It's not open-ended. It's not going to last forever. God has given you a life Live it. Live it, understanding there is an end to it, which means you can pour yourself out. And whatever you're going through, whatever struggles, whatever darkness, it will end. It's not forever. The pain, the trials, the temptations. Work it out. It's not forever. You've got this. You can endure this. Bring, it, bring your life, work out, bring your life to a decisive finality or end conclusion. In a nutshell, suicide is not an option. You are not allowed to end your life. You're leaving your life's ending in God's hands. What do I do in the meantime? Work it out. And, and, and think of your life as just this bundled up mess. And you pull a string and you start extending it. You take the spirit that God has given you, this new life, this Christian life, and you start extending, drawing out your Christian life into every area of your day-to-day living. You bring your Christianity into your home, into your kids. You bring your Christianity into the workplace. You bring your Christianity into the community. It's not just here. He's saying work it out. Extend your faith and carry and bring your faith with definite purpose into everything. Work it out. Work out what? Your salvation. What do you mean by salvation? Salvation is received, very clearly, by grace through faith. It's not by works, lest you would boast about it. Look what I've done. You can't boast about what Jesus has done. Your salvation is based upon what He did. And it is received. And it is God who works it in you. And Paul's understanding of salvation that you now have is now work it out. Take what God has given you and live it out. Extend it out. Let your light shine before men. You are the salt of the earth. It's the idea of taking what God has given you and lavishly, openly 
sharing it, spreading it, living it openly, publicly, outwardly. Salvation is here portrayed as something that becomes the focal point of your life. Salvation involves faith, belief, and confession. A lot of words that he's already used. We confess that Jesus is Lord. That's, that's part of salvation. He could very well have substituted other words in this verse. He could have easily said, work out your faith. Work out your confession. Work out your beliefs. All of It works. It fits. That's the point. All of those things. Paul commands them, work out your salvation. How? With fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, write this down, has positive and negative aspects. We're very familiar with the negative aspects of fear. But there are positive aspects to fear. I'm turning to, I had to write this in because it came late in the week. 2 Kings 17. If you're brave enough to try and find 2 Kings... 2 Kings 17, I'm going to read a few verses from 2 Kings 17. Just came across this in my morning uh, over breakfast Bible reading going, good night. That was a great example of how we should fear one thing and not fear another thing. 2 Kings 17, I think this was Thursday breakfast for me. little bit of context the kings the kingdom of is of uh, israel has been broken into two camps in the capital city of jerusalem you have the tribe of judah all the other tribes have broken off they're kind of called the northern tribes they're 10 tribes of israel so you've got israel to the north and judah in the south judah are going to be the those kings are descendants of david and the ones to the north are just a mishmash of evil kings. Not a single king in Israel to the north is going to do right and please the Lord. They're all going to rebel. So God brings a country from, from your perspective, Assyria over here, down to conquer them. He conquers. Their capital in Israel is in Samaria. The king of Assyria takes many of them captive and imports a bunch of his own people to intermarry and live in Samaria. And it's a mess. And 2 Kings has a little commentary on those people. In 2 Kings 17, back up to verse 33, says these people, this is kind of a new people group, they feared the Lord and served their own gods. That's a problem. How do you, you can't lower God to be like other gods. They feared Yahweh, it's the word for Yahweh, and served their own Elohim, according to the custom of all the other nations from among whom they had been carried away into exile. To this day, they do according to their earlier customs. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances of the law, or the commandments which the Lord commanded the sons of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord made a covenant and commanded them, saying, You shall not fear other gods 
nor bow down yourselves to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear. So don't fear other gods. Fear Yahweh. Fear Yahweh. Verse 36. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power, with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear. And to him you shall bow yourselves down. And to him you shall sacrifice. And the statutes and the ordinances and the law and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall observe to do forever. And you shall not fear other gods. He keeps saying this. Don't fear other gods. And the covenant that I've made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. Stop fearing other gods, but the Lord your God you shall fear. And he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, commentary, they did not listen, but they did according to their earlier custom. What I'm astounded by in this passage on don't fear other gods, but fear the Lord God, is what does it look like to really fear God? You obey Him, you follow Him, but then look in verse 39. But the Lord your God you shall fear, and here's the thing. It's positive. When you fear the Lord, what happens? He will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. It's the fear of the Lord that leads to a life of peace and deliverance and acceptance. That's the part of fear and trembling we don't get. Because we only usually use the word fear in the negative sense. We fear something that's going to harm us. We fear something that's going to kill us. Fear, 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 fear. Wait, time out. The fear of the Lord, according to the Bible, is the beginning of wisdom. And if you live a life of wisdom where you trust God and you follow God, you know what the results are? A life of peace and acceptance and purpose you see that that's fascinating to me we usually fear and trembling of things other than god circumstances of life suffering and dying so when paul says work out your salvation extend it with fear and trembling what is he talking about he's asking you he's telling you the things that you are afraid of the things that have your attention you're only ever afraid of things you know about and that you're focused on stop focusing on those things take all of your fear and trembling and fear god that's what he's telling them he's telling them to fear god here's the next blank is to give him attention honor and respect and the beautiful thing is he removes the trembling the longer you fear the lord the less you're worried about anything but his will and his way it, it is not fear of punishment in jesus i have no condemnation 
Jesus took the wrath of God. I don't come to God in fear and trembling that he's going to punish me. I give him my full attention. I, I fear him only, not the circumstances of life. And as I fix my attention on him, I give him the honor he's due. I give him the respect he is due. Just like he promised to Israel, he brings order and peace to my life. He acts like God, and I act like his servant. And I have nothing to fear. Anybody wants to trouble me, afflict me, I serve him. You've got to go through God to get to me. I don't fear what the world can do to me, my body, nothing. Why? I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, if you want to experience freedom, submit yourselves to God, your bodies as a living sacrifice. Stop being conformed to the ways and thoughts and fears of this world. Fear God, and He will transform you from the inside out. All of those things coming together. Fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So put all of your fear and trembling into God's hands, and He will take it away. How is that possible? <laughs> how, is, how does God take our trembling... And turn it into trust. Um, verse 13. Here's how. Because God's the one at work. In you. Work. Because God's at work. You work out your salvation. Why? Verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. This is verse 13. He's giving us details. These details are explaining what it means to work out your salvation. These details are comforting us because it's hard sometimes. Life is hard. Well, here's some details. As you work out your salvation and you find it's hard, guess what? God is at work. Chill. I just, I, it's like I see Paul. You know, if, if Paul were to walk into a church you know, and they're all busy and frantic, I can just see him walking up and going, Just, that, just this fatherly influence of, hey, hey, hey. You ever done that to somebody? <laughs> oh, some people don't take that very well. Oh, what do you mean? It's, it's kind of condescending, right? Like, like you've got it all together, you understand, and they don't understand. You're like, I really feel like that's what Paul's doing to us here. Work out your salvation with Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling for God, not for anything else. He, why does he say that? Because he knows, naturally, we, this world has our attention, and we're afraid of this conflict, and we're afraid of that leader, and we're afraid of these circumstances, and this in the stock market, and that and this liberal that, and this and this religious right this. And we, our attention is all over the place. And we are, we are naturally a people who give our attention and our fears and our trembling to the things of this world. And Paul's work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear the Lord. He'll remove your trembling. And by the way, it's not all about you. 
And you don't have to get it all right. It is God who is at work within you. Work, working His will for His good pleasure. Amazing. I t- Philippians 1, 6. I am confident of this very thing. That He who began a good work in you, that's the work of salvation. That He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This idea he's presenting in chapter 2, verse 13, is the same idea from chapter 1, verse 6. There's another blank. 2.13 is equal to 1.6. God is at work. When God is at work, you better put on your hard hat, people. He is going to town. He's working in you. The very thing he asks you to do, he does. But there's a difference. I like this difference. Because your English translation in verse 12 has work. You work it. And in verse 13, God is at work. They're different words. They're different words. Not for you. Because you're an English speaker with a limited vocabulary. <laughs> work is work. Ugh. Not all work is the same. You know that. So there, there are two different words used for work here. We already got the first one. Your job is to work and extend, live out to a definite conclusion that which God has started within you. You have a job. Extend your salvation. Make it visible in every area of life until you die. That's your job. Extend salvation into every area, every thought, taking every thought captive, obeying in every way that you can, in front of everybody, at all the time, serving the Lord. But that's not the same word that God does for himself in verse 13 here's his definition here's what his work is energize work when god works he brings energy into the situation god moves situations from one stage to the next like electricity through a wire Your job is to take your life and extend it as far and as wide as possible. And God's job is (laughs) to bring the power. That is cool. Teaser. This week the sermon is work. Next week the sermon on verses 14, 15, and 16. Shine. You can develop this idea. And then the week after that, 17 and 18, rejoice. Work out your salvation, but it's God who's at work. Shine, because that's what he wants to do through you. He wants to light you up. Do your part, extend it. He'll bring the energy. And even though he brings the energy, we get to rejoice. Like, how crazy is that? Do this, God is doing it. You shine, God is shining. Oh, and you get to rejoice. But God did all the work. How can I rejoice? That's what you're rejoicing about. You're rejoicing that God makes up the difference. God is the one who energizes you and brings you into Christ and fills you with his life. It is God who is at work in you. Two things, though. Both to will and to work. So now we bring in a a little further explanation. God is at work in you. How is he at work in me? He is at work in you both 
with his intention, that's his will, which becomes your intention. God is at work both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's will is his intention and design for saving you to something. God wants to save you to something. God wants to save you, forgive you, fill you with the Spirit so you can get to something. Not just to save you. There's not a period there. He wants to save you. His will is to save you to dot, dot, dot. His work. What does that mean? His energies. It's a duplication of what God does. It's the same use of the energy. God is at work energizing you. Both your intention to will and to energize you work energy his energies his power for you get that paul is working overtime to explain himself here again it's not a period his will his work and he has one more idea here is god's will for your life oh yes isn't that what you want everybody wants to know what is god's will for my life i know what you mean but what you want to know like who do i marry where do i move what job do i take what do i have for lunch what is god's will for my every little step like come on he created you with a mind and a spirit that you can make meaningful decisions like lunch on your own right you don't need to you know consult somebody for that and yeah and if somebody does consult you for that like have a definite answer oh, i don't know whatever you want just throw something out there at least get the ball rolling don't don't keep it vague because god's will for your life is not vague even though he allows you some freedom of choice in this passage paul says work out your salvation with fear and trembling it is god who is at work in you now god is giving you the intention according to his intention and design and the energy to work it here's the phrase for his good pleasure god's will for your life is his pleasure now we're gonna have to we're gonna have to repeat that a couple times god's will for your life is his pleasure His will, put it this way, I've got a a sentence typed out for you. His will is like this. You fully living out your salvation with him electrifying you to do good works, which, by the way, were planned ahead of time by God for you to walk in. And ultimately, Making himself happy or satisfied with you. What is God's will for my life? That you would work out your salvation with his will and his intention behind you, within you, in front of you, behind you, all around. His will and his intention motivating your life, giving you direction, so that ultimately you in your life are making him happy satisfied he's finding pleasure in you as he works through you god is 
using you. How does that make you feel? God is using you to make himself happy. God wants to use you to bring pleasure to himself. He's a perfect God who doesn't need you. So this is an act of great mercy and grace because you are not perfect, you are flawed. And yet he is sharing himself with you to energize you, to indwell you, to redeem you. He cares about you. God wants to find more pleasure and he can find more pleasure through your existence. That's amazing. God wants to find pleasure in you and through your life. Work out your salvation and let him. You extend it, let him energize it. You do what you're supposed to do, he brings the result. Go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples, baptize them. Teach them to observe all things. Like you can go through all the paces, all the motions of doing that, but who is it? You just go forth and spread the seed. Who, who waters it? Who brings the growth? Who brings the harvest over and over again? It is God. It is God's responsibility. Your job is to live it out, and He finds great pleasure in you. He finds great pleasure in you. Have you thought that of yourself lately? Probably not. You're so down on yourself. Well, it's probably for good reason. You know yourself pretty well. You know your heart. You know what you have done wrong. You know what you haven't done right. You know yourself pretty completely. God knows you better than that. And he still has a way to find pleasure in you. Give yourself some grace and forgiveness because God has given you all of it in Jesus. And live for him. That's a new path. That is a new way of living. To think that God wants to make himself happy through my life. Final thoughts. Next blank. 10.30 is not enough. Not enough for you to come to church for one hour, two hours a week, and, and be fully extended to God, through God. Um, no matter how many sermons, songs, videos you watch on your own um, and this is why as a church we we strive to meet in smaller groups uh, at the 9 30 hour we strive for smaller groups uh, at, on wednesdays we have a new group coming through the bernards uh, it's going to meet on friday nights we we have thursday morning small group um, why why do we do these smaller meetings it's because christians grow better together we grow better together. And Paul says this way, way back at the beginning. If you, if you, if you circled those three U's, they're all plural. And I am so guilty of reading the U and just making it about me. When Paul is writing to a church that is meeting together regularly, and he is using a plural form of you every single time. If through this sermon you've been like me, because I've been doing it all week, you live out your salvation. Okay, what do I need to do? Wrong. It's you live out your salvation. What do we need to do? God's working within us, not you. 
alone by yourself for you to bring him pleasure us to bring him pleasure not a single ounce of any of this is for you to do on your own paul purposefully makes this plural so you would get it through your head like me that we cannot bring pleasure to god at its fullest by ourselves not praying alone, not right, reading the Bible alone, not watching sermons alone, can't do it. Can't reach the fullness of God in Christ by yourself, disconnected from a group of believers. So how would I retranslate that? Next blank. Because it's third person plural in chapter 2, verse 12. Work out y'all's salvation. That would be such a terrible translation in English. I'm sorry, Pat. I apologize, Pat. Mark the kids off whenever they put that on their English report, unless they're quoting the Bible, because it's right, right here. It's the closest way I can get to helping you understand. When he says, work out your salvation, he's actually saying, work out y'all's salvation together. God, God, God through Paul, God, I'm all over the place. My, my language, my English, my use of English language has gone out the door. You practice what you preach, right? Yeah, law. So, um, yeah, my California family calls me out. They hear my Oklahoma accent. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't have an accent. Like, yeah, you do. There are certain words that won't be repeated. Uh, work out y'all's salvation. Now, now go back in your notes. To that long sentence a couple of slides earlier. You see that sentence? His will, you fully. Okay, we need to, we need to, we need to autocorrect that bad boy. Go through there first thing, cross out all the you's. You, your, and you. There are three of them. Go to that next slide. Cross out you and put y'all. Cross out your, put y'alls. Cross out you and put y'alls. Oh, there's four. Good gravy. With y'all and it's kind of funny except I don't live that way our natural inclination is to take care of ourselves and to focus on our own lives apart from one another and we can't we cannot bring the fullest amount of pleasure to God just by ourselves or just in our own family but we are called by God as a church to learn to live together, worship together, serve together, and all of us, Graceway, drawing out our salvation in such a way that we are living life with and through one another. Our youth group right now has a solid group of counselors. Amen. Thank you for stepping up. A variety of teachers. Our ladies' ministry is strong under Anne's leadership and all the ladies that, that help and coordinate and follow along and meet with her. Our men's group is growing, growing closer together on Wednesday nights. Our deacons are helping. Our finances are strong. Our current small groups are fantastic. But we have need. We always will. As long as we meet together, there will be need. I need a husband and a wife to volunteer to teach fours and fives class one month and then have a couple months off 
We always could use another husband and wife team to teach King's kids once every five weeks. We always have needs. We could use a couple more men uh, working security with Tommy Davis so he can come to church a little more often. We could use another family to mow the churchyard once a month from April through like July to give the pages a break. What time and what day of the week could you host a small group in your home? If y'all is important, y'all need to do something about it. Y'all need to invite other people into your life. That's the point. Because if you're not, you are not fully extending your salvation into the church and in other people's lives. You have so much to offer. I know you think you're an introvert and you're quiet and you don't have much. You have so much to offer. There are so many people in this church that are going through what you've gone through and you can help or who are about to and you can help. The more people you know, the more people will pray for you. Do you need other people to pray for you? Yes. Do you want other people to? Yes. Well, get to know some of them. Pray for them. They pray for you. Kind of works both ways. It actually always works both ways. Which of you senior saints would love to meet with other senior saints once a month and have lunch together? My grandma used to be a part of that. They called it the lunch bunch. I mean, those became some of her dearest friends, and they didn't start that till she was like in her 60s, 70s. And those sweet ladies would just meet together once a month and have lunch. Somebody organized that. Meeting together in small groups is going to be our key for learning to extend our salvation into other people's lives. Graceway Baptist Church. Just as you have always obeyed in the past, under various circumstances, continue to work out y'all's salvation with fear and trembling before God together and not alone. For it is God who is at work in y'all, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God can find pleasure through you as you connect with other people's lives. How this week, how can you extend your salvation and include some other believers? How can they pray for you? How can you pray for them? Who can you meet with? Who can you, you may just find a new friend. Imagine that. And we have people here who need friends. Not everybody's the same. Keep hunting. If in your first group you don't find the right person, go to another group. Won't break our hearts. Bounce around, look around, shop around. You'll, you'll connect. You'll connect with somebody. Stand with me. Let's pray to that end. That God will give us the grace and the will and the energy To humble ourselves and to seek him through other people. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. God, thank you so much for Jesus who, though he existed in human form, he did not regard equality with you, God, something to be grasped at, but emptied himself, lived open-handed as a bondservant being made in the likeness of humanity 
humbling himself in obedience to the point of death. God, give us that kind of mindset that we would humble ourselves under your hand, under this church, and for the sake of the people around us, that we could grow together in a new direction. Help us to become better friends. Help us to encourage and stir one another up to love and good works, that you would energize us, fill us, and direct us to do new things, to do great things. But most importantly, that we together would draw closer to Jesus than we ever could alone. Thank you, God. May you find immense pleasure in us as we step out of our comfort zones this week, as we sing to you right now, as we give to you, and as we prepare to serve other people a lunch, a dinner next week, may you find great pleasure in us as we work out our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.